So in today's episode, I want to talk about the power of getting started, the the drive that pushes you to move forward, that pushes you to be better, to get things done, and ultimately is what leads to uh, improving your life, improving your community, improving the world. It's the power of getting started and actually really challenging. It's something that does not come easily at all for most people. Uh, so I want to talk about that. I want to dive into how we can do this better, how we can approach getting started in a, a more sort of efficient and productive way, and ultimately what we can do to uh, improve our ability to just get started. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, this is going to be kind of an interesting episode. I'm doing something a little new. So we are doing two segments in this episode. Uh, so we're going to have the normal solo me talking to you and sharing my thoughts, feelings, opinions, research, so on and so forth on the topic, which in this case is the power of getting started. Uh, but then after this segment, I actually have a conversation, an interview with a friend of mine, Tali, who is the founder of a software company called Blink Date. She's trying to make dating, online dating specifically, a little bit more human, a little bit better. Uh, so we talk about how she got started and what it took for her to turn her idea, her experience that she wanted to make into something, into a startup that has raised over $200,000 and has a small team and is already well on its way to helping dating be better. Uh, so we're going to have both. I do have a timestamp for when these segments change in the description of this episode. So if you're interested in one but not the other, just check out the timestamps. Jump ahead if you want to. No big deal. But hopefully there's a little bit of something in both segments. And hopefully you like this format because it's something I want to test out uh, to try and make the show a little bit more interesting going forward. So let's talk about the power of getting started. Oftentimes when you have an idea for something, it's really just like a loose set of like dreams or desires. There's really no direction there. There's nothing that actually helps you figure out how to do it. And oftentimes when you have those ideas, it's in areas that you have no real expertise in. And, and, and so you don't have the tools or the knowledge to even start to figure out where you might be able to start. So starting can be intimidating. Starting can be scary because starting also means that you need to put yourself up for potential failure. What does failure mean? Well, it could be mockery. It could be having to face your own ineptitude. It could be any number of things that are painful and emotionally draining to go through. So a lot of times, the best place to be feels like having an idea and living in that fantasy world for a moment and then just kind of letting it dissipate because if you don't start it, then you can always say in the back of your mind, if you had started it, it would have worked. Or if you had started it, this would have been the outcome. You never have to actually pressure test that and see what would actually happen. See if you're actually good enough to take it there. See if the idea is good enough. 
as long as you stay in the world of ideas. So this is the reality for many people. Where I struggle is in the middle piece. I start to get bored. I start to get uninterested. I want to move to the next new thing. This thing is no longer new or interesting, and so I'm done with it. Um, and some people struggle with that as well, where that middle piece is the biggest slog. Other people, they can start well, they can get and sort of build it to something, but they struggle to get it over the finish line. They struggle to actually complete the task. So there's this kind of different ranges of uh, what you struggle with when it comes to getting started. But there's one really critical thing, one really important thing that we need to recognize regardless of where your strengths lie. And that is that no matter what it is you're trying to do, no matter what you want to accomplish, it cannot happen without first starting. Like there is no end game, there is no outcome, there is no value for this idea if you do not start moving in the direction. So at the very least, regardless of what you are good at, whether that's starting, sustaining, or finishing, regardless of what you are best at, the number one rule is that you first have to start something in order for it to have any shot of turning into something. So that's the first thing that I want to drive home to you. Success is not about being the best. It's not about even being good a lot of the times. It's mostly about actually starting. It's mostly about moving the needle forward. Because as we just talked about, a lot of people struggle with starting. It's much safer, it's much easier to have the idea and live in the fantasy of that idea than it is to actually put that into the universe and have to face the consequences, good or bad, that come from those actions. So when you have an idea, Getting started, the reason that it's powerful, the reason that there is why this episode is called The Power of Getting Started, is simply because most people aren't starting. And when most people aren't starting, it means you have an advantage if you do. So that's the first big thing. Nothing good can happen unless you start. Most people do not start. And so if you start, you're going to get yourself into a good spot. The next big thing is this. When you don't know what to do next, when you don't know what the direction looks like, when you have an idea for something and you feel really overwhelmed and you're not sure what if you can even reach it, the best way to figure that out is by starting. Starting gives you direction. What I mean here is that when you have an endless list of directions something could go in, endless opportunity, endless uh, 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 choices that could be made that lead you down different paths, there's too much to consider. The ideas, the, the hope, the direction, the dream, the vision, all of that is unordered. It's disordered. And therefore, it is chaos. There is any number of things that this could be, and it ends up being nothing. That's part of what makes starting hard. That's why the blank page is a problem. However, when you give something shape, when you give it form, when you give it reason and order, it starts to limit the potential directions it can go in. Now, that might sound on the surface like something that we don't want. Why would we want to place limitations on where we can go? But as my animation professor in college once told me, sometimes having restrictions on something, sometimes having barriers and borders for something makes it easier to be free with that thing. Because chaos is difficult to work in. Chaos is difficult to focus on. Chaos is difficult to even want to, to pay attention to. 
But when you know what you're trying to do, when you have a clear direction, a clear path, or at least it's narrowed down enough that you have a reasonable chance of making the right decisions, it becomes significantly easier to take action and move. This is something I've been fascinated by lately, and I think it applies here as well. Because when you start something, it removes options. When you have a blank page and you look at that cursor blinking back at you, there is any number of directions that this story could go. But once you write the first word, once you say the first thing, there is now a much smaller pool of directions that you need to choose from in terms of where you go next. You might say the word he as your first word on that piece of paper, but there's a smaller list of potential words that come next that make any kind of sense than there was in the beginning. You've given it order, you've given it shape, and you've given it direction. Starting serves as a way to give yourself direction. So when you don't know what to do, when you don't know what comes next, when you can't imagine yourself reaching something, ironically, the best thing to do is not to sit and try to think about what the plan looks like. It's to start, limit the options, and then give yourself a clear direction to move in. So those are my thoughts on the power of getting started. And when we get back, we're gonna jump into a conversation with my friend Tali from Blink Date. Tali, thank you so much for being here. So uh, let's start out for the people listening to this who don't know you. I have talked about you and featured you on the show in the past, but uh, just give us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're currently working on. Yeah, so I am a longtime New Yorker. I went to undergrad here in the city, and I went to law school in the city. Uh, so I'm a lawyer by background, but I've taken a lot of leaps uh, in my life to different careers to follow my passion. Um, and just right now, I'm working on a dating app called Blink, where people don't have profiles, they don't swipe, but they just tell us what they're looking for and when they're free, and we set them up for 10-minute phone dates. So it's kind of got a love is blind vibe. Um, and the idea is people can really get to know one another for who they are. And then outside of work and professional stuff, I'm a dog mom. I love squirrels and I have little squirrel feeders outside my window. Um, and I love to travel and eat all the vegetarian food I can find. So how does you mentioned that it's kind of like love is blind. And, and I definitely got that sense as well when you first told me about it. Have you been helped at all? by like the hype around Love is Blind? I would say yes and no. It makes it a little easier to explain, but there are certainly examples from the show that indicate that love is not blind. And to be clear, I don't believe love is blind, but it definitely gives the kind of concept maybe a bad reputation in some ways when things don't work out for certain couples. And I think one of the reasons that's the case is because it's built to be a reality TV show. Folks have to get engaged before they see each other. On Blink, that's not how it works. There's no engagement before photos. We just put the photos after the conversation. And so in that sense, it's like love is blind. The folks who really believe in underlying compatibility and communication first in relationships, really, uh, res it resonates with them. Yeah. So walk me through the experience. Yeah. So if you're a new user and you download the app, you tell us, hey, I'm a man. I'm looking for, I'm X years old. I'm looking for a woman who's between these ages, um, I'm this religion and want to find somebody who's, you know, whatever religion, family plans, I'm looking at kids, I'm not, you know, all sorts of basic things that other dating apps also ask you. And once you're done signing up, you upload one photo. We do have plans to add a few more, but right now it's just a single photo that you upload. 
And then you tell us when you're free. You're like, I'm free Monday night at seven o'clock and I'd like to go on a date. And we say, great, we have a date for you at seven on Monday with Sarah. Okay, so there's no... See, it's almost like a matchmaking making thing. Like, I don't swipe. I feel really fortunate that I was able to avoid this kind of, like, era of dating. I, I thankfully met uh, Rachel, my fiance, end of college, and we kind of just stayed with each other. So I, I'm not sure if I could, like, handle this, this right. level of pressure. Uh, how did you come up with, like, was it in response to, like, oh, I'm sick of this, I don't want to do this anymore, or, like, how? So there are two two things. Uh, the inspiration for it was this experience eating at a blackout restaurant and getting to know strangers in the dark. Uh, it just changed my perspective on how we get to know people. So to clarify, a blackout restaurant. A restaurant where you can't see anything, yeah. Pitch black, can't see your hand, they take away your devices, you don't know where your silverware is, your food, nothing. Are you like blindfolded or like? So in that, in the particular place that I had this experience, it was at a center for the deaf and the blind. And the idea was to help people understand what it's like to go through life, maybe unsighted. And it was a pitch black, right? Like, I don't know what they did with the lighting and the space and the construction of it, but you, we didn't have any blindfolds on and you just can't see anything. It's darkest of dark. Your eyes do not adjust. There's... It's just darkness. Um, in other places, they do blindfolded versions of this. I know there's a restaurant in New York City that has a blindfold version of this kind of blackout dinner experience. But I think something about having your eyes open and still not seeing is, is a little bit different. Okay, so you you're at this experience. And, and I was seated happened? with strangers. And, you know, we started talking and it was just a beautiful evening, a beautiful conversation. There was a freedom to it, too, because, you know, we were just voices in the darkness. And I saw them after the dinner and I realized I wouldn't connected with them in that way had I seen them first. I probably would have assumed we'd have nothing in common. We go through life making assumptions about people based on appearances, on their outfit, their skin color, their hair, their shoes, you know, all of these things, these external things. And sometimes maybe our assumptions are right, but most of the time they're wrong. And while love is not blind, reducing dating to a process where people are swiping in less than one second based on attractiveness and looks is leading to a result where, you know, you're missing out on a lot of potential matches and so the the app has had some success uh so last year i believe you were part of snapchat's uh, startup accelerator um there you've brought on investors you have a small team um how did all of this happen like how do you go from i'm sitting in this dark restaurant and can't see anything to i'm i'm starting and, and founding this this product lots of tiny leaps um no but i i so i was a lawyer when i went to school i became a lawyer after this dinner happened this all you know transpired after and i was on uh, an unhappy lawyer and so i transitioned to do legal operations from there i started doing product management because as uh, somebody in legal ops you're building a lot of solutions and i really loved building solutions so I, I decided to go to product where i can really you know build with a team behind it design and engineering and along the way, in my spare time, I started building Blink, um, my nights, weekends. And I had like an external dev shop I was working with, um, not not working with them anymore, but I have a different different set of folks supporting me now. But I just started building it. And eventually, about a little over a year ago, I got my first investment, first from Graham and Walker, which is a fund that focuses on women and non-binary founders, and then the Snap Accelerator, the Yellow Accelerator by Snap. Um, and I got investments through those as well as some angels. And so it was a lot of, you know, recognizing the things that I was passionate about and moving slowly closer to it um, and further from the things that weren't sparking joy. The part that I'm 
I, as I hear the story, like this, this story happens a lot, right? The, this like had an idea. Um, I built it nights and weekends and, and transitioned out. And this is my thing now. Um, but there's a lot of like, that's like a black box for anyone who's never done it. So like, how, what, it, what, what do I need to know in order to, to navigate this? What feels like a very scary experience if you've never. Yeah. I think the thing that a lot of folks can get caught up in is the feeling. And, and I did too for, for, for many years. It's why I didn't do it for, you know, almost a decade after this experience you get this feeling like it's just too overwhelming. You think about the the thing you want to build and you're like, I can't possibly get there. And instead of thinking about it from the perspective of this is what I want to build, can I do it? Think about it like, well, what's the first step that I need to take? For me, it was, you know, creating in whimsical, which is, you know, uh, like Figma in a way, but more like sketch oriented, creating screen, um, like mock screens for what I wanted to build. And looking at them now, they are they are hideous and they are, not at all what the app looks like, but just getting the idea out from my brain onto like a physical form, then let me take the next step of reaching out to people and saying, hey, what would be involved in building this from like a design perspective, a development perspective, a cost perspective, um, and, you know, getting people's feedback, uh, starting to wrap my arms around, okay, if I want to do this, what are other things that I should potentially, you know, consider before spending the money on building an actual app? And so I did a podcast where I hosted people on dates. And in that case, it's not like, okay, suddenly you have a podcast. It's, What are all the pieces of the puzzle for having the podcast, figuring out the guests, the scheduling, the tools you're using? And so breaking down, for me at least, breaking down the big picture thing I wanted to do and to hear all the steps that I need to do to get there made it more manageable. It can also feel overwhelming when you look at that list. And so I think the other really big thing is remembering to be kind to yourself and recognize, hey, I'm one person. If you're doing it nights and weekends, you might be tired after a long day of work and it's okay to not necessarily work every night after your day job and just recognize the reality of it might just take a little time as long as you're committed to slowly chipping away at that block you can get there it sounds like and and correct me if this is off at all um there are so i i have an idea i want to start this thing it sounds like there are a lot of like outstanding questions like things that that are going to cause me to to feel doubt about my ability to do this um but your approach, whether intentionally or not, it feels like you just started asking questions instead of sitting there and sort of being the recipient of all of these questions. Would, would you say that's accurate? I would say so. I'm the type of person who just does things more than I am the type of person who just like thinks and is like, oh, wouldn't it be nice um, if I choose to do something, I will just dive in and start doing it and chip away piece by piece until I get myself closer. Like I'm not there in terms of, I'm not there yet in terms of what I want to build for Blink, but I have gotten a good way down the path uh, and I've identified the path. I guess that's the first step. Um, So it's, I think the other, the other, this is a piece of advice that a law school professor actually gave a group of students. She was an incredible, she's just an incredible person. She uh, clerked on the Supreme Court and when you click on the Supreme Court, you only you're, you're there for one year. And so you don't take vacations. You don't take days off. You're, you're there for the full year. But she had a baby while she was clerking on the Supreme Court. So she obviously ended her clerkship early and people were asking her about it. And something that she said was there's never a good time to have a baby. Sometimes you just have to jump in. And I've taken that into other contexts. There's never a good time to start a business. There's never a good time to leave your career. There's never a good time to have a baby. There's never a good time to move. And sometimes you just need to take the leap and trust that everything else will fall into place around it. So how does, like, where does self-doubt fitting 
to that for you? I mean, leaving law was, I think, the biggest t- like instance where I felt a ton of self-doubt because I had invested so much time in becoming a lawyer. I, you know, so much money too. Like I still am paying off my law school debt um, and deciding only after a year and a half that I was totally done with it and wanted to put it behind me. I wasn't sure if I was making the right choice. I wasn't sure what other people would think of it. I was worried my parents would be disappointed. I was worried that whatever I chose next wouldn't work out. And I think the realization for me was that I already knew I was unhappy with what I was doing. So anything different was just an experiment. And if I didn't like whatever it was that I was doing next, I could just shift to something different. And so accepting, again, the idea that, you know, if you take the leap, everything else will just kind of fall into place around it. I think that helped me kind of reconcile with the self-doubt and just I also am the type of person I know what I'm like when I'm passionate and I'm excited and I knew I wasn't there with what I was doing. And so recognizing that about myself and just kind of saying this is what I'm searching for. Let me work past the doubt. So I love that that idea of everything else is an experiment. Like you, you've identified this isn't right. Let's experiment to figure out what is right. Uh, where does that way of thinking about things come from do you do you have a sense uh that's a good question i think i've just sort of embraced it across my entire life i don't know where it comes from originally maybe i mean my parents are immigrants they came to this country they don't you know even still have like a a huge support network here so maybe it's just seeing them go through life and all the, the challenges that come up when you're navigating life in a new country without any support system knowing that eventually it works out. Ultimately, like the challenges that we face, they're hard. And sometimes it really sucks to be in the midst of them. But if at some point you'll be able to look back and recognize the benefits of having gone through it and the, mm-hmm. that you're in a better place because of it. How do you think that you've, because uh, I, I have a, a, a similar background. I immigrated here when I was eight or seven um, and watched my parents make a lot of difficult choices and, and sacrifices and so on and so forth. Um, how do you think that you've been shaped by that? And also, as a follow-up, how do you think that you've like had to unlearn some of the things that come with that? How I've been shaped by it? I mean, I mean, I think there's like this endless hustle when you're, you know, you see your parents like trying to make everything work in this new place. Like, I feel like I'm constantly hustling and not in the sense of I don't know like just like endless desire to build something make something and throwing yourself into it so fully I think that comes from seeing my parents dive into this new world and this new life Uh, and I'm trying to remember the second half of things that I had to unlearn I think I mean I don't even know if I've unlearned it but I've identified that it's an issue like I feel in some ways unmoored Um, I don't have the family that my parents grew up with in the same way they did. And I don't have the same system here. And so I feel, you know, it's, it's sad to go visit my family abroad and realize I don't have these strong relationships with them and realize when I come home, I don't have any family at all beyond my, my nuclear family. And so there's this feeling of like, you're alone um, and you're always alone and you have to fend for yourself and solve your, all your own problems that I grew up with. And I feel like in business and in startup world, I like I carry some of that with me. I don't want to be a burden on other people. I don't want to ask for help. I just want to be able to do everything alone. And that's, that doesn't work. And and I, I have so many amazing people helping me. And I feel so blessed. And I 
have unlearned a little bit of this idea that I need to be doing everything alone and, and kind of letting them in and embracing that. Have you found that you've been able to, um, to actually follow through on that change, I guess, because it, it, it's again, sounds very similar to something that, that I've felt myself, but it's so incredibly difficult to break away from that and to not just naturally go to that same place. Like, have you found that that's changed? In some ways I think it's changed and other ways it hasn't. Um, you know, I have worked with some people and it hasn't worked out and I don't necessarily know why I, you know, it, relationships are two way streets and sometimes they work just like in dating and sometimes they don't. And I imagine in some ways, part of why they don't, it might be some of the things that I carry with me in terms of, you know, feeling like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a pioneer, like you're, you're, you know, exploring something all on your own and you have to figure it, not the pioneers are all alone in the great outdoors, but there's a, a feeling of, of responsibility of going it alone of, of all of these things that probably contributed to rela certain relationships not working out. But again, I have incredible people. Like I, two former colleagues who are helping me with de design. I have another former colleague helping me with QA stuff. I have the part-time engineer. I have people that I've met on my journey, people who signed up for the app and love the experience who are helping me. And I'm able to let them in and help. But it, I think it's just, where's the line between this does work and this doesn't? I haven't necessarily figured it out and I haven't figured out why. I'd like to think that it's just, you know, a chemistry thing, like with dating. Um, you know, sometimes things just don't work and that's okay. Yeah. So let's quickly, as we wrap up here, let's let's jump back to the self-doubt question. Um, because you started this journey with Blink with a co-founder. Um, you you went through it together, you or maybe not started, but pretty quickly along the way. Um and then somewhere along the way that didn't work out and you had to sort of take on this mantle of of doing the rest solo. How was there ever a moment? Or has there been a moment since where you thought, maybe I just don't do this? Like, how, how do you push through that part when it feels like uh, uh, maybe things aren't working as quickly as you want or, or uh, things are falling apart that really shouldn't be at this stage? No. I mean, I felt all of those things. And I mean, has there ever been a founder that has never felt like, should I be doing this? I mean, maybe, maybe there are, but I, I feel like in some ways you must be dishonest with yourself because it's hard. Even when you have money, even when you have a team, like being a founder, having all of these responsibilities, having not just your members, but your, your employees and your investors, like all, it's hard. It's a lot of pressure. Um, and it's harder to be doing it alone. It, it, there's, there's no two ways about it, but I, I don't think I've ever looked back and regretted the decision to continue solo because solo, I, I, you know, sometimes you just know when something is right and you have to trust your gut. And I think self-doubt actually keeps me sometimes from trusting my gut. Um, but I think the, the doubt that happens now is, you know, you look around and you see all of these other companies getting funding and I see other dating apps getting all of these great things, like whether it's post by influencers or social media or like press or all of those things. And it makes me wonder, like, what do they have that I don't? What am I missing? And then sometimes you get a peek behind the curtain. Like, you know, recently there have been stories about these apps that were super, super successful, not in the dating context. And now they're not doing so great. One of them is, you know, closing down paparazzi. And 
you realize that sometimes all of that glitz and glam and success is, you know, just what you see on the front and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And I, I guess from some perspective, I take comfort in knowing that and it helps me deal with that self-doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So last two questions here. Uh, number one, what is your personal philosophy on failure? Failure is not a bad thing. It's a learning experience. It's there's I don't know if you've ever read Startup Nation. It's about Israel as a startup nation and tech you know, hub. And one of the things they point out as, as to why it is that way is because Israelis are not afraid of failure. They don't see it like here in the U.S. If you fail, like people, you don't want to talk about it. You feel bad going back to the same people and asking them for things. Whereas in Israel, it's just like, oh, that was just an experiment and now I'm trying over. And so I try to embrace that mentality about failure. And then last one, what are you most proud of? You mean professionally, personally, any? Anything. Anything. I think I am most proud of letting go of external expectations. I think, you know, leaving law helped me with this a lot and just embracing following my own path. And it has taken me to a strange place, like from lawyer to dating app founder, but I've embraced searching for my joy and um, chasing it. And I'm really proud of myself for doing that because it it did involve a lot of self-doubt. It involved a lot of hard conversations with people who had expectations and life is too short to do anything else in my perspective. Tali, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. This was a really, really good one and a unique one. We did something different here. We're trying something. Let me know what you thought. If you are listening on Spotify or watching on Spotify, head over there, leave a comment. Let me know your thoughts. If you are on YouTube, because we are back on YouTube, this is video first again. This is video first again. Head over to YouTube. The link is in the description. Subscribe to the channel while you're there, because why the heck not? And then leave a comment. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Do you like having the sort of like segmented double sort of episode with uh, uh, longer runtime, but you've got your breaks that you can jump in and out? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let me know. Thank you for being here. My name is Greg Clunas, and I'll talk to you next time.